This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. This is Cliff Schechter. I am sitting in once again for Leslie Marshall. You have found yourself the Leslie Marshall Show. We've got a great group of guests today. Uh, a lot of craziness going on in the election. Nothing new. A lot around voting. Uh, there are the Senate races. You've got some, some Republicans trying to distance themselves from Donald Trump. Shocker there as more women come out and point out that he is the lout that we all knew he was. Um, we are going to talk to a bunch of great guests today. But I am lucky enough to start off with uh, a scholar on the voting rights movement, good friend, uh, author of Give Us the Ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America, writer for The Nation, Ari Berman. Are you with me, Ari? I'm with you. Hey, Cliff. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good. As good as it can be expected. How are you doing? <laughs> I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer in the, in the exact same way you just did. Um, as good as it can be expected. Um, you know, as we're watching what maybe is something you who got involved in writing about politics and I write about it and, you know, a bit of a practitioner. I have a feeling when we were growing up that we actually sort of looked at this with somewhat reverence. And it's kind of hard to right now with uh, everything that Donald Trump is doing, isn't it? It really is hard to. I mean, it's amazing. I, I talk to people all the time who are you know, college students who are graduating high school, and I have to tell them that it's not always been like this. Like, it's not like the American political system was all hunky-dory, but at the same time, it's not like it was always like this either. So, I mean, if you can only imagine if this was your first election and somehow it's Trump versus Clinton. It's just, you know, really unbelievable. So many things that were just considered totally unacceptable in politics have just been mainstreamed by Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, and obviously the Republican Party has been working on suppressing votes for a long time now. This is something that you've become quite a uh, – I mean, you've become an expert on this in the last three or four years. I saw you speak on it. I was lucky when you were in Cincinnati, and you've traveled around with your excellent book. Um, but, you know, your Twitter feed has been a must-follow at Ari Berman, by the way, folks, lately, because they're, they're, they're doing it right now, aren't they? I mean, Donald Trump's yelling about rigging, you know, votes being rigged and all this. But you've given a lot of kind of insight into what's really going on. Do you mind sharing some of what's happened in North Carolina and Wisconsin, whatever you think uh, people most need to know? Yeah, well, it's really unbelievable to hear Trump talking about uh, rigging the election when it's his party. If anyone has been rigging an election, it's been his party that's been doing it uh, by uh, trying to make it harder to vote. And so we, we've seen this really concerted movement uh, from Republicans for the past 
five years or so uh, to make it harder for Democratic-leading constituencies to be able to vote uh, in a variety of ways, whether it's new ID laws or cutting early voting or making it harder to register. And, and so really that's the, that's the way uh, that uh, the election integrity is being undermined. And, and these things that Trump is talking about, uh, the, the fact the election is rigged, the fact that there's um, going to be um, widespread voter fraud, which interestingly he only talks about when he's losing uh, in the polls. Uh, but really, I think that's a distraction from the bigger issue, which is that if anything is being rigged, it's being rigged by Republicans. Yeah, um, that's exactly right. I, you know, again, what? So what do you I mean? Some of this harkens back to to the very bad old days of what happened in the South. I think they've come up with some creative and even newer methods of of suppressing the vote. But but for example, you've been pointing out a lot of stuff in in let's say a state like Wisconsin, which you know has this amazing history of being really. I mean, it's the it's where the Republican Party, for example, was born. Back when it was a very different party. It's got a you know La Follette, and you think of this great historic tradition of some some really giants in terms of political figures. And then you get Scott Walker and Koch Brothers money and what's going on. So, you know, I've seen you tweet a bunch, but even for me, it's hard following all this. What's been going on there? So what happened in, in Wisconsin is they passed uh, one of the strictest voter ID laws in the country, in addition to a bunch of other uh, really onerous uh, voting restrictions. And in, in that state, about 300,000 registered voters, which is 9% of the electorate, don't have strict forms of voter ID. So it's, it's a very big deal. Uh, and basically, the law was upheld by the courts, but it was predicated on the fact that Wisconsin had to be able to give everyone who wanted to get an ID for voting an ID in a short period of time. And basically, what happened was I got uh, recordings uh, from the DMV. I talked to um, multiple voters there who were not issued IDs, who brought documentation that should have been sufficient uh, and instead were turned away from the DMV, were turned away from the polls without the ID that they needed. Uh, a what was the reason they were given? Sorry, there, let me were, interrupt, but... There were a few... Go ahead, Ari, Two people who were from uh, Illinois originally who moved to Wisconsin were told that they needed birth certificates, even though they specifically didn't need copies of their birth certificate. There's actually a sign in the DMV that says, no birth certificate, no problem. Get your photo ID. And then five feet away, the DMV workers are telling them they need their birth certificate to be able to vote. And some people don't know where their birth certificates are. Some people never got birth certificates in the first place. So this was violation of the law. Another woman uh, who immigrated from Ireland and has been a U.S. citizen since she was eight was told she had to pay $345 for her naturalization papers to get an ID for voting, um, which was really outrageous considering that once upon a time in this country, it was called a poll tax to have to spend money to be able to vote. Uh, so th there's been a lot of really shocking things in Wisconsin. And, and just recently, a federal court uh, held a big hearing on this. And he said that in late July, he issued an order that everyone who should uh, who needs an ID should be given one within six days. Uh, and the head of the DMV in Wisconsin on the stand basically said that they did nothing for two months in response to the court's order. So it's very disturbing that even courts are telling Republicans that they need to be doing things, and then they're just ignoring what the courts are saying. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, that's obviously that's what we would call the basis for our democracy is respecting the courts. And then, you know, what the – I don't know how else to say this – what the hell happened in, in Indiana with this raid 
Um, have, do you know anything about this, where, where there it was vote registration, and uh, you know they were registering voters, and, and basically the police came in and raided the place? Yeah, so what I've seen is uh, that basically this uh, group in Indiana was trying to register uh, lower-income and African-American voters. There were allegations of voter fraud. Evidently, there were uh, 10 registration forms that were uh, suspected to potentially be fraudulent. And so they raided this group and they threw out 45,000 of voter registration applications. Um, that seems very proportionate seems, to me. Yeah, exactly. It yeah? seems uh, pretty disproportionate uh, to me. Indiana, I should mention, was the first state to really pass a strict voter ID law. Um, and so it was interesting, you know, when Mike Pence was talking about in the VP debate about the rule of law there uh, and about uh, the, the respect for democracy. I mean, it's interesting that they've just uh, seemingly cracked down on a group that's registering a lot of lower income and Democratic voters. And by the way, might not be a swing state on the presidential level, but has a very competitive uh, Senate race and governor's that's race. Right. So Democrats have a, a good chance to pick up two big seats in Indiana, uh, which is a state that you don't normally think of as competitive. No, and last I saw, they were trailing in the governor's race, race in Indiana, the legacy of, of Mike Pence. And uh, and then, yeah, Evan Bayh, since he got back in, I mean, that lead has definitely decreased somewhat, but he's still up by a good five, six points. So it's close enough they probably think they can suppress a little bit. And all this is going on in the wake of, obviously, a couple of years ago, the Supreme Court, and I think it was Justice Roberts who told us uh, we didn't have to worry about any of this anymore because racism was gone, right? <laughs> well, it's really uh, kind of remarkable. In June of... 2013, Chief Justice John Roberts in the Shelby County versus Holder decision uh, undercut one of the key parts of the Voting Rights Act and said that those states with the longest history of voting discrimination no longer had to approve their voting changes with the federal government. It's really remarkable to read this opinion in light of everything that's happened. Uh, that Well, first off, we had all of these uh, voter suppression efforts during the 2012 election that Roberts didn't acknowledge uh, in his opinion, but even since he's done this, we have the fact that laws that were blocked as discriminatory, like Texas's voting ID law, where you can vote with a gun permit but not a student ID. We're allowed so to Texas. And then in, in North Carolina, just a month after that opinion, they passed a sweeping rewrite of their election laws that didn't just require strict ID, but they cut early voting, they eliminated same-day voter registration, all of these things. And the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals just said that this law was intended, to, in, in the words of the court, to target black voters with almost surgical precision. I mean, here you have wow. the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court saying voting discrimination is a thing of the past, and then you have the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals just a few years later saying Republicans in North Carolina are trying to disenfranchise uh, black voters intentionally. So that clearly there was a big disconnect between what was actually happening in the world uh, and how Chief Justice Roberts perceived things. So listen, we're, we're just going to have to go to a quick break, uh, quick break right now, Ari, and then let's come back and talk a lot more about this. But more about North Carolina, these guys ignoring justices. A lot going on here. Thanks, man. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Welcome back. Once again, this is Cliff Schechter. I'm filling in for Leslie Marshall today. This is the Leslie Marshall Show. 
We are lucky enough to have with us right now an expert on voting and voting rights and the current conservative, I'd say even Republican assault uh, on the franchise here. Uh, it's Ari Berman. He's the, he's the author of Give Us the Ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America. And he's been going, if he hasn't been traveling around the country, he's certainly been paying attention to everything going on around, going on around the country and sharing with us. Are you with us, Ari? I'm here, Cliff. Thanks. Sure. Um, when you when you were when we were going to break there, you were talking a little bit about the court uh, in the North Carolina case, I believe it was, that determined they were trying to disenfranchise African Americans, which a number of Republican elected officials have actually admitted when they don't think the microphone's on, right? I mean, there have been a couple of statements where they're like, "Yeah, sure, we're trying to do that." Oops, wait, there's media here. Um, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> they pretend it's about you know those those ten ballots that, as you brought up, where you need to throw out forty five thousand for proportionality, but. I digress. You brought up a very important point before, which is the elected officials not listening to courts. And I'd seen the same thing in Texas. I wanted to get a follow-up from you, where their law had also been deemed unconstitutional, if I am correct, their voting restrictions. And Greg Abbott basically was like, I'm not going to listen to that. Um, in the era of Donald Trump, where we've got people saying, you know, this is rigged, we're not going to, you know, really breaking all these democratic norms uh, is Abbott still doing this? How dangerous is this for us? Yeah, so what, what happened in Texas was they had one of the strictest voter ID laws in the country. As I mentioned, under their law, you could vote with a gun permit but not a student ID. Uh, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is the most conservative appellate court in the country, found that this law was discriminatory against African Americans and Latinos and other minority groups. They said that the law basically needed to be significantly relaxed so that those without uh, strict forms of photo ID would still be able to vote by showing something like a voter registration card or a utility bill or a bank statement that was less burdensome to obtain. But Texas basically uh, fought this tooth and nail. First off, uh, they put out uh, really misleading materials that made it seem like you needed uh, uh, you needed strict ID. Uh, they said that they are going to prosecute uh, anyone who uh, votes with an affidavit, which is the fallback remedy that the Jeez. court recommended. So basically, they've turned. Um, what is supposed to be a safety net for voters into something that's potentially illegal, which uh, seems to be violating both the letter and the spirit uh, of this court decision. Uh, I was in San Antonio recently reporting a story about how restrictive Texas voter registration laws were. I noticed there was a big sign in the county elections office in San Antonio, the seventh largest city in the country, that said photo ID is required to vote. And this was after the court decision, and I said to them, that's not true anymore. Um, why is this sign still up, and they said, uh, well, we just haven't gotten around to changing it yet. Um, right. And I, I said, well, um, why don't you just uh, put an updated thing on there, you know? And they said, well, we have the updated material behind the desk. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, why don't <laughs> we take a lot of effort to lift that material up? Why don't you just take it down? Uh, this was some hard, hard-hitting investigative journalism I was doing. Um, but <laughs> I mean, and this was a county that's a Democratic county. I mean, so you can imagine what's going on in Republican counties that really love voter ID and what Republican officials are going to be doing. And there's just like the worry that there's, there's widespread confusion, that people are either not going to show up because they don't believe they can vote, even if they can, or when they get there, uh, that they're not going to be able to vote, or they're going to vote and they're going to get prosecuted for bogus voter fraud charges by the, the state of Texas. That is unbelievable. Of course, you also have the million people that will probably show up. You know, Trump voters will probably show up on November 28th and look around and be like, wait, 
This isn't, this, this isn't, yeah, you heard him make that statement, right? Or I heard him make that statement. I mean, yeah. so the funny thing about Trump is, you know, he, he's, he, I think his rhetoric about voter fraud has been uh, very, very worrisome. So I don't think we, I don't think we can just dismiss it. In terms of his actual plans to monitor the polls, I'm skeptical it's going to come to fruition just because he doesn't have a campaign. Uh, so right. he has nothing that could organize this sort of effort. So, I mean, if, if, if he was... But a, what you're he, saying is a more talented fascist in the future could be a exactly. problem. Exactly. If, if his campaign this. was as organized as his Twitter feed, you know, then <laughs> he, we, we might be a little bit more concerned. I think that... You'd be harassing people trying to vote at like 3 and 5 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Asking for photo ID at 3 a.m. But yep. I think that I think that there are going to be people that are going to come out and try to challenge voters. There's no doubt about it. We just saw a quote yesterday in the Boston Globe that one of his voters actually said that he was going to do racial profiling. He actually, you know, he actually called it that that he's going to racial profile it. He says so, what do the rest of us do? Like, what is our legal rights for for those of us out there who want to try to help? Yeah, so this is really important. I mean, so first off, I mean, it, it's not legal to harass anyone inside the polling place. There are different rules for voter challenges, but you can't just go up because someone looks suspicious and challenge their right to vote. The second thing that's really important is there's a national network, a national hotline to help people um, be able to cast a ballot. That's 866-OUR-VOTE, uh, and this is the Nas- National Election Protection Coalition. I'm going to repeat that throughout this broadcast. Yeah, okay, 866-R-VOTE, and they're in every single state, uh, and they're very knowledgeable. So if anyone has any problems voting, they should immediately call that number. I think the worst thing is to not vote or to leave. You should, you should stay there. You should call. You should ask for uh, election supervisors who are there, because I think that based on what we're hearing, I think the Trump people that are going to be trying to challenge voters are not really going to be uh, super well-informed about what the law might be. Wow. Well, that's a lot to, to digest. I think we can assume, as you said, with Donald Trump, they don't seem to be very informed about a lot of things. Um, so assuming they're going to understand the voting rules, I think you're right. They probably will show up to harass. And if you go armed and you've got this phone number, folks, you know, it's not just about you voting. It's about your neighbors being able to vote. It's about other fellow citizens. And so this is an incredibly important. Um, I'd also say following your, you know, your Twitter feed and what you're up to, is incredibly important. We've got about a minute left, Ari. Is there anything you'd like to leave people with that really should we should know for the election? Well, I mean, I think so. This is the first presidential election in 50 years without the full protections of the Voting Rights Act. So uh, a bunch of different states, 14 different states, have new voting restrictions in place for the first time in 2016. And to me, that is the real danger here. If we're talking about threats to American democracy, that is the danger. Uh, not bogus fears about voter fraud, but the fact that people are being disenfranchised right now. Uh, and we can't let history repeat itself here. That we, we have too long of a history in this country of preventing people from voting to go down this road again. So everybody get out there. I think we're about to go to our break, Ari. Get out there, listen to Ari, do what you can, and make sure that your neighbors, that you vote, that everybody's able to vote. 866-OUR-VOTE. Thanks so much for being on, Ari. I appreciate it. I am filling in for Leslie Marshall, and you are indeed listening to The Leslie Marshall Show. just finished a great conversation with Ari Berman. 
Uh, we learned a little bit more about Republican efforts to suppress the vote throughout the country in Texas and in Indiana and in North Carolina. I'm going to repeat again, as I said I would throughout the show, 866-OUR-VOTE. If you're having trouble, if these guys are trying to suppress your vote, you call and you can get the information you need. We're going to stick to a similar theme, which is uh, treacherous activities by those on the right. And we're lucky enough uh, for this part of the show to have with us Jessica Mackler, who is the president of American Bridge. Are you here, Jessica? I am. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for being on. How are things going on over there at the bridge, if I can call it that? Well, it is. I mean, this is a, an interesting time, obviously, for everybody who is focused on elections. I've been in this business for uh, two decades, and I've never seen anything like this. And I think that that is seen across the board. Um, you know, the truth is that the Republicans have been fanning the flames about uh, voter fraud as a as a fear-mongering tool for, for a long time, um, right. but uh, Trump has taken it to a, to a new level, and certainly um, it's, it's very disturbing times. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, beyond uh, our laws for democracy to function, we kind of need everybody to buy into our political culture and accept that uh, we'd rather solve things with uh, ballots and not bullets. But uh, I'm not convinced that's where Donald Trump is, although I will give credit to a few Republicans who seem to be coming out and repudiating what he said. Um, with that said, though, that's actually kind of an important point because you guys at American Bridge have been pointing out a whole bunch of Republicans who either – um, have not distanced themselves from Donald Trump. We know there. We know that there's a number of them out there that still cling to him, uh, much like Static cling. And then there's others who, like you know, it took the, uh, Mexicans are rapists. No, I think I'll stay with him. Uh, banning all Muslims. No, no, that's okay. Oh wait, okay. Well, he's now. We now know that at least he sexually harassed or attacked you know a dozen or more women. Maybe that's a bridge too far for me. So, what are you guys doing to point out the those you know? What, like what's his name, Ballant in, in Missouri that are, that are still sticking with Trump as well as the ones who really waited like Kelly Ayotte or, or Rob Portman here in Ohio who makes my blood boil um, that, have, that stuck with Trump until that last moment. Absolutely. Well, this is something that we've been focused on from the beginning. Um, you know, early on, even last fall, when there were people, certainly on the Republican primary side, um, that were taking Donald Trump for granted or still saw him as a joke, we were uh, cataloging instances of, of Republicans across the board um, on all levels of the ballot who were either supporting Donald Trump outright, were praising him for various characteristics, saying that they supported, you know, that he had energy that was good for the party, um, and really and really getting all of that information into one place um, to put to use now and in the future. I mean, I think this is something that we'll be talking about for in election cycles to come. Uh, but yeah. the good news is, is, that, is that voters understand that, that Republicans who are, you know, is, in theory, abandoning Donald Trump right now, or it, it really is about political expediency. Um, the DSCC, uh, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, put out a public um, release today about battleground state polling that showed that voters understand that this is about political expediency. And so what we're doing at American Bridge is really taking all of those resources, the video, the print news that we've collected over the past nearly a year, and getting it in front of voters and the press um, regularly so that when Kelly Ayotte comes out and says, oh, well, I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to support Donald Trump, it's, it's really too little too late. It was only, um, you know, a week before that that she was on the debate stage saying that she would absolutely um, consider Donald Trump a role model for children. Wow. Yeah, that was um, a, quite a moment. You know, 
It's absolutely, and so, you know, we took uh, the footage of that debate and paired it with, we actually put out a web video last week, a little kid's uh, reciting Donald Trump quotes um, to, to highlight. Oh, I saw that. That was excellent. That is. Well done. Yeah, I follow you guys on Twitter, and you guys have put out. That one was probably one of my favorites. Um, you've also made it a habit, which I like, more, or at least or let's say recently. It seems like you've really uh, hit uh, Congressman Heck. In, uh, you've beat the heck out of him, quite frankly. Yeah, that was a bad joke, but I had to go with it. Um, and, and he's, he, you know, he was up for a bit, and it seems like the, the tide is changing out there. I noticed that you've worked out in Nevada before, too, maybe place close to your heart. I don't know. So, so what do we have? That's a race I haven't heard people talk as much about as some of the ones on the East Coast. What, how are we looking out there with, with Harry Reid pulling out one more for the team? Sure. I mean, Nevada is uh, an incredibly tight race, and I don't think that that's going to change between now and Election Day. We've seen that across the board. Um, You know, I would definitely say that when it comes down to Election Day in Nevada, if you have a tie race um, and Harry Reid is, you know, behind the Democrat, which he certainly is in full force um, with the operation that they have put together there, uh, that's a formidable challenge for Joe Heck. Uh, but it is it is a tough state. It is a, a, a very divided state. Um, there is a, a large segment of the electorate, uh, non-college educated uh, white voters, which is certainly Donald Trump's target audience. Uh, you know, Joe Heck said you know, before the most recent news about Donald Trump, there was uh, you know a clip of Donald, of Joe Heck saying that he uh, he would trust Donald Trump with the nuclear codes. So even if you Ooh. set aside this most recent news, which we certainly should not, but if you if you take that out of the equation, um, the fact that after Donald Trump has said that possibly. Um, Japan, South Korea should have nuclear weapons, that he couldn't rule out using nuclear weapons even in Europe, um, which is something he... Saudi Arabia, too. That seems like a good idea. The the idea that that Joe Heck um, would have ever supported Donald Trump uh, is is really problematic. And that is something, uh, again, that voters understand and are disturbed by. And in these final weeks is something that we're going to see a lot of attention on. It's something that we're paying uh, close attention to and driving attention to over the the final stretch of this campaign. No, I mean, you guys have been doing, again, just a great job, which doesn't surprise me because I remember the role you played a few years ago, too. I've known well, I appreciate that. It's uh, it's definitely been um, an an interesting election cycle, but it's also, as I said, you know, it's disturbing times when you see Donald Trump really the fear mongering that's going on, the voter fraud allegations um, are, you know, the, uh, and the vote rigging allegations are just the latest in a string of really dangerous rhetoric we've seen out of that campaign. Yeah, and I agree with you. Look, I mean, I, my guess is that you and I, we were to talk, we would agree on about ninety five, maybe even a hundred percent of the issues, and those issues are incredibly important to us. But when we elect somebody uh, even as bad as George W. Bush, that's fixable, you know, eventually. I mean, it's not to say a lot of terrible things didn't happen in the interregnum, but at least eventually we can get back to trying to be the country we want to be. The concern with Donald Trump is is that there's so little respect uh, at all for democratic traditions. You know, and I, I don't, I never try to be dramatic about this or hyperbolic, but I mean, you know, with the things he's saying, with the alliances, uh, clearly uh, numerous with Vladimir Putin, <clears throat> I mean, how can one wor- not worry that the lack of respect he shows our traditions could lead to something, you know, in a, take us to a much darker place, quite frankly. Um, and so you guys are playing a hugely important role. Um, on a lighter note, though, 
to bring it back to where I, I don't start taking us into like a Blade Runner kind of future. Um, <laughs> how about uh, I've seen some interesting things about taco trucks, and I want to hear about that because that looks pretty cool. Absolutely. It's, it's a lot of, uh, we're having a lot of fun. You know, obviously taco trucks have played a unique role in this election. Um, unexpected with people saying that there will be taco trucks on every corner if uh, Donald Trump loses, which um, I don't think is, is such a bad thing. Uh, so we've kind of latched onto that and partnered with uh, NextGen and Planned Parenthood and Latina Victory Project and others uh, to launch a taco truck project in Las Vegas around the debate. We have about 150 taco trucks uh, doing voter registration uh, tonight and all day Tuesday, um, and then we'll be doing press around that as well so that we can make sure that everybody hears about the Taco Truck Project, and I will actually be out in Las Vegas myself, um, and I'm looking forward to sampling some of the tacos as well. So that's good. So you can you can register to vote, but there also are actually selling tacos from those trucks. There are there are actual tacos, and I um I, as you mentioned, I spent some time in Nevada. So every time I get out there, um, I make sure to get a Mexican fix. Um, so that that should be fun. But it is a really important um, underlying project uh, uh, around the voter registration because again, we're seeing this very you know dangerous. Not to bring it back to the serious, but we're seeing this very dangerous yep. rhetoric out. Um, coming out of the of the presidential nominee, but it's it's something that the Republicans have been behind uh, for for decades, and it is um, it is something that we're very concerned with. And um, there was a, a poll this morning that said seventy three percent of Republicans believe this election could be stolen. So you know Ugh. Donald Trump is really riling up this base in a very dangerous way. And so we're doing everything we can on our end uh, to make sure that voters are registered, that they know the facts, and that they get out um, and vote, and we can we can stop um, this very dangerous agenda. No, I mean, <clears throat> it's so important. I, I will brag right now, not about me, but I'm proud of uh, the state I live in. I live in Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, it looks like we right now have the biggest lead uh, among early voting, Democrats requesting versus Republicans. So you know, but I've seen a number of other states that have been terrific, too. It really seems like the message about how dangerous Donald Trump is and that this, is this the kind of person you want as president is getting out there and, and really people are turning out. And again, you know, look, there's a lot of groups, there's a lot of great Senate campaigns. Um, you know, Hillary's run a terrific race, but you guys are responsible for that, too. And, and you know, we need this stuff. We don't we don't have Fox News and, and we don't have, uh, you know, Rush Limbaugh and whatever. And, and you know, when you're talking about with Donald Trump's dangerous message, you know, that's being, as you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, and I think our listeners probably know this too, but that's being echoed by Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity, you know, and that sort of collection, let's call them, I can't come up with any other words, so I'm going to go with deplorables. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and so people get this message. I mean, you know, uh, d this is our democracy. Beyond, again, the issues that I believe in and you believe in, I believe in the democratic experiment. I believe in what we've done and, and what this country's been able to accomplish and always improving and getting better. You know, we didn't start off perfect, far from it. But, you know, th then you see these guys that are just willing to, you know, overthrow democracy. And, and, and so you get 73% of people thinking the election might be rigged and, you know, how whatever percent believe that President Obama wasn't born in this country. And, I mean, the disinformation – uh, you know, have you, you, I, my guess is you've probably found, I know I'm, I'm sort of on my soapbox here, but you've probably found you need to make up for a lot of that, right? I mean, f hardcore Republicans, you're never going to win, but even some people in the middle get affected. Um, you know, I do a lot of work with Planned Parenthood, for example, and people believe that videotape initially, right? 
Absolutely. I mean, it's absolutely, you know, one of the reasons for American Bridges' existence is the need to have permanent infrastructure around holding Republicans accountable for their words and their actions. And we talk about as you said, you know, the difference between uh, a typical, you know, Republican candidate in a, in a different election year that where there's an ideological difference, uh, but not, you know, what Donald Trump is, is, is putting forth, which is really this very dangerous uh, vision. But, but the other piece of that is that those Republicans laid the groundwork for this. You know, it was John McCain in 2008 who raised uh, the possibility of voter fraud in the 2008 presidential election. Uh, members of Congress across the board, Paul Ryan, others who've been talking about voter fraud and misleading the public. Um, and a lot of this, uh, a lot of what they're saying is, is starting with, uh, you call them deplorable, but it's, you know, you could also say alt-right, uh, you know, yep. Alex Jones, conspiracy theorists who've been promoting these ideas and they're making their way through the pipeline to Fox News, to Donald Trump, uh, but they're also promoted by other Republicans, even some of the Republicans who are being held up in the, in the past couple of days as breaking with Donald Trump are people who have been, um, you know, found by judges or reprimanded for their behavior as it relates to um, voter registration, purging the voter rolls. Uh, so this is something that the Republican Party has created over many years, um, and that's one of the reasons that uh, that we feel, you know, Bridge is so important because it's about Donald Trump right now and stopping this very dangerous uh, situation that we're in, but it's also about in, you know, future election cycles highlighting Republicans who are doing this who appear to be much more reasonable, but who are really the ones that are responsible for Donald Trump being here in the first place. Yeah, you know, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's so incredibly important. You know, Donald Trump may be not bright enough, quite frankly, to, to keep to himself a lot of things that Republicans for many years have implied or dog whistled, as we would say, and not said out loud. But that doesn't mean he came out of nowhere. You know, we've seen this now again and again. Uh, in the primaries, really, since the, the the Tea Party, I mean, we can go further back to Newt Gingrich upending, you know, a lot of the traditions in the House. But for more recently, especially, um, you know, we we you see, for example, so let's go with what I said before about Planned Parenthood that these criminals essentially, and they have been charged, they haven't been found guilty yet, put out this video. And, and edit different aspects of it, and it's completely dishonest. You, know, you get your Carly Fiorinas and Ted Cruz's and Donald Trump's and people talking about live baby parts and stuff like that, and a guy shows up you know, at a Planned Parenthood in Colorado and kills people, and he's saying baby parts. Um, you know, and it's so utterly irresponsible, um, the stuff they're willing to repeat. So to think that, that this kind of heated rhetoric and this stuff about this paranoid conspiracy talk just grew out of nowhere. Trump, is, you know, he's taking it a step further. And sadly, there may be somebody who takes it a step further than him. I'm not sure where that, that would be. Um, <laughs> but I, every time I think I've seen the worst, he finds a way to go further. So people shouldn't forget, right now, Paul Ryan is still supporting him and enabling Absolutely. him. Mitch McConnell is still supporting him and enabling him. They are responsible for this. Um, so uh, w before we go, is there anything else important to share? We've got just about another minute until we've got to go. I think the most important thing is really just that, you know, you, the listeners and, and the public in general don't take, um, you know, take it for granted that Donald Trump will lose on Election Day. We really need everybody to get out there and vote and understand the danger that he poses and, as you said, the, the role that others have had complicit in 
his rise. Um, and, you know, so across the board, whether it's Senate candidates like Kelly Ayotte and Pat Toomey, um, who have supported him and been with him, Pat Toomey still refuses um, to say that he won't, he'll vote against Donald Trump. Um, you know, and, and then and then the presidential race itself, which is just really critical. And I think the biggest uh, mistake that we could make is at this point, assuming that voters will see this uh, dangerous rhetoric for what it is, because uh, we've seen from the Republicans and from Trump himself that they're willing to upend our entire democracy uh, in order to advance their cause. And I think that that's something we need to really be vigilant about and make sure that we're doing everything we can to stop it. No, I, it, all that is so important, and you don't. You always need to go and make sure we win. So the last thing I'm going to say is thank you for coming on, and I'm going to try to join you at a taco truck because I will be out in Vegas Wednesday to Friday. So hopefully we can meet up. Thanks so much for being on, Jessica. I appreciate it. This is the Leslie Marshall Show. I am filling in for Leslie Marshall, uh, and we are going forward. Right now we have with us Victoria Jones, who is the White House correspondent for Talk Media News. Are you here, Victoria? I sure am. Well, wonderful to have you. I I hear we're talking about some interesting topics, Uh, the arrest of uh, three guys calling themselves, quote, the Crusaders, unquote, who plan to launch an attack against Muslims in Kansas the metric ton of explosives, which sounds horrific, and uh, Vice President Biden laying out a five-year plan for a moonshot cancer initiative. So with that, I will let you tell us what's going on. Yes, so these three guys uh, in their 40s call themselves the Crusaders, and according to the Department of Justice, they were arrested on Friday. Their idea was to launch an attack against Muslims that would lead to a bloodbath, and then with any luck, that would help spark a religious war. Now, they were arrested, and they wanted to attack a Garden City, Kansas apartment complex filled with Somali immigrants. It's also home to a mosque. They wanted to attack it one day after the election. They were going to fill four vehicles, fill them with explosives, and then just blow the place up. And uh, they decided they were a threat to American society. So this was – go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, um, one, of the, one of the guy's girlfriends turned him in after he apparently hit her during an argument. That the, One of the guys said, the only um, effing way this country is ever going to be turned around is it will be a bloodbath and it will be a nasty, messy um, mother bleeper. They also, he also said, when we go on operations, there's no leaving anyone behind, even if it's a one-year-old. I'm serious. That's disgusting. And, and people may remember, I'll just say quickly, that uh, there was a report about this that the Department of Homeland Security had on these right-wing terror threats that was quashed uh, because the right got very upset. So uh, maybe we should pay more attention to this, shouldn't we? Yeah, uh, the three guys, Curtis Allen, Gavin Wright, and Patrick Eugene Stein, three guys. All right. So, well, so we've got a little so, more time. What, what's going on with this cancer initiative, too? Hopefully better news so, than the last story. Very 
exciting. Yeah, Vice President Biden today laid out this ambitious five-year vision. It's his cancer moonshot. And it's to fight cancer and uh, very widespread, unprecedented optimism across the medical field, he says, that it can be achieved. And uh, he says that uh, there are significant challenges. There are lots and lots and lots of missions and layers of government. There's funding, resource limitations. But the ultimate goal is creating a cancer ecosystem that's completely integrated to accelerate advances in treatment, care and understanding about the various diseases. Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Show. We had some great conversations the past hour with Ari Berman, great author and uh, voting rights uh, so I'd call an expert. We also got to talk with Jessica Mackler over at uh, American Bridge about what they're up to. Now we're going to turn a little bit to the polling side of the equation. There have been some incredibly good polls if you're a Hillary Clinton fan. And for that, who else could we bring in but our, I think he's now, I consider him our polling guru. He just goes by that. Now, we'll, we'll come by his name. Is Jason Box, do you with us, bud? I love when you talk dirty to me. <laughs> Hi, is, is this Donald Trump? Who am I talking to? <laughs> We're just not don't grab me and kiss me, all right? Oh, I don't even ask. I can't even wait. I just do it. <laughs> God, disgusting. Um, not you, him. <laughs> you, um, to kiss, I'm sure, is, is like a... I'll, I'll leave it there. So, my friend... I was excited for this because, uh, you know, I think we talked last time we talked. I don't think we were in quite the same situation. Um, it was more like, hey, we're hanging on by a point or two. That's cool. I mean, my God, I saw you tweet out because uh, I, I do follow you, as everyone should. What are we, at, re, at jboxed1. You can learn a lot from this man. And you are, your day job is being the, the, the guy that runs the research shop at Penn Shown in Berlin. Am I correct? That's. I think that's a bit of an overstatement. Let's just say I'm one of the. Uh, I'm one of the older people at Penn Schoen in Berlin. I, I can't. I can't say with a straight face that I'm running the place. There was a time, folks, when I went to graduate school with Jason, and we weren't the oldest people in the room. But not um, even close. That was the late '90s. It's amazing how time changes. Um, so before we get too nostalgic, a 12-point poll came out. Uh, as in a poll, Monmouth poll, that it had Hillary up by four, maybe a couple, three weeks ago, I believe it was. Yeah. They got her up by 12, which, you know, there was a little back and forth. And some of the, I think the eight was the ABC one that only showed it at four, but a number of ones at eight or nine. Where do you, where do you think looking at this? And granted, this one was taken even later, the Monmouth one. And I always feel like there's that lag where as people see all the media saturation, it adds that much more to whatever the actual event was. So, What's your thought? I mean, is, do you think – first of all, what, what do you think the number is now, or at least the area, region, is of difference between the two? And, and do you think Trump is still dropping? 
Well, uh, those are two very good questions. So I think the answer to the second question is absolutely. Uh, Trump is absolutely still dropping. I think that uh, wow. the answer to your first question is hard. So here's the way I, I typically think about it is you take the high, the, the high delta number uh, and you take the low delta number and you split the difference. So if you mm-hmm. do that, you're looking at like probably there's a, a, a seven to eight point spread right now. But here's the thing. You know, Monmouth is a, is a pretty highly rated polling firm uh, or polling outfit. They they have a very they have a high quality model. They put out their numbers. There's not a whole lot of variability. Their numbers are always pretty consistent, pretty strong, very transparent. They're not an outlier, though. So the NBC Wall Street Journal poll, which, as you know, is a bipartisan poll, mm-hmm. uh, has Clinton at an 11 point spread. And in case anybody who's listening is either a skeptic or maybe a Trumpkin, these are four-way polls. These aren't the head-to-heads, which I think for a long time were being rolled out uh, uh, and inaccurately showing a a picture of the the election that that is just not true. These are four-way polls that have Clinton, in the Monmouth case, actually breaking 50%. So um, this was a... You know what's interesting? Yeah, which I think, you know, I mean, I, I want to ask you more, just add in this little sort of extra, which is, you know, uh, Johnson is on in all 50 states, but Jill Stein is not on the ballot in North Carolina, Georgia or Nevada. I mean, there is there is a point in time where that could actually make a real difference. Um, it could. It they, could. Let me let me correct you, though. If you ever go to that state and they heard you say that, they will punch you because I know it's true. It's Nevada. <laughs> <laughs> They'll punch you. They take that seriously. I'm going to that state in like literally about a little over 24 hours. So, so <laughs> it's good that you. It's good that you actually just helped me with that because I maybe we get punched. And, and I don't want. I mean, you know, I don't enjoy getting punched. Jason. Nobody does. Uh, no, no, you're, um, you're raising a great point, though, man. The Jill Stein is not on the ballot in a couple of places where she could actually hurt, a la Ralph Nader in Florida. Though, quite honestly, I think she is a she's a real blip. I think really. Johnson's the, the the guy who could hurt Hillary, uh, but he's he's fading as well. And I think a lot of people were, were speculating, uh, even a couple of months ago, that the closer we got to the election, particularly post debate, uh, Johnson's not in the debates. He's going to fade as a factor, uh, right. and I think his numbers are going to continue to shrink as well. And I agree. I mean, that seems to always be the pattern. The exception, at least one of the two times, was Perot because he had so much money. But it seems to, to pretty much happen. Um, it's just uh, the reason I bring up Stein is because if it, let's say it's North Carolina, let's say it's Georgia, and it may make no difference in the overall election, right? Because if Hillary is winning Georgia, then we know how that night's already going. But you know that could be a place where she could win by a point or less, and that's a place where Jill Stein's presence on the ballot could make a difference. I think that Gary Johnson people. You know, if Democrats have been trying to bring them back home, it's much easier to bring them back home than to bring Jill Stein people back home because Gary Johnson and Bernie Sanders don't believe in almost anything that's the same, right? Right. So, okay. So, so that's interesting. And then a number of others, fascinating, right? So Hillary is up in Texas. <laughs> we just went up with an ad. Did you see? I don't know if you saw that. I mean, she is advertising in Texas. They just announced um, they're going to do like a million dollar ad, or, or either a one or two million dollar ad buy in Texas. Yeah, they're already up in all the, in most of the major markets. I looked at it. I think I saw Austin and Dallas and Houston. They, the last poll I'd seen shown her showed her down four points. 
Um, which again, if you have a great turnout operation, the other side, I don't know if, if she's going to invest in the turnout there, but if she does and the other side doesn't, you know, four points can be gained. You know, there've been one or two points gained in elections like Obama versus Romney, where one side has a better operation, but when one side has a great operation, the other side has almost nothing. Uh, yeah, you know, that's like. Yeah, Hillary's had Hillary's flush with cash. They just had a couple of really big announcements today in uh, in Indiana and in Utah, places where, quite honestly, she isn't going to win. Uh, their their campaign is investing a lot of money and get out the vote for the Senate races and for the down ballot races. I think we're seeing that in Texas as well. And we've been noting for months and months that uh, Hillary's had a ground operation that is far superior to to Donald Trump's from Florida to Washington State, and turnout matters, uh, campaigns matter, and I don't care what Trump's numbers are, if you don't have a turnout operation on Election Day, you're going to underperform whatever those last polls say. That's true. I mean, in my experience, that's always been true. I also I agree in what you're saying is incredibly important, because you think about New Hampshire and North Carolina, those are two places where we can win a governor's race and win a senator. Um, and some congressionals, too, not to mention state legislative, but Hillary already had the turnout operation in those two places, whereas you look at Indiana, which you mentioned, and another one I'm hoping they'll do it in is Missouri, where Jason Kander is running a phenomenal race. Um, and, you know, there's, there's in both of those states, there's governor's races and Senate races we can also win, and we should win in, in Evan Bayh's case. So um, that's, uh, that's great to hear that they're doing that in these other states. Uh, but I got to admit, you know, political geek that I am, it was always just a fantasy that we'd be advertising in, in Texas as an actual Texas, swing man. state. Georgia. It's amazing. Georgia. Yeah. Georgia. So are we up on the air in Georgia, too? Uh, they're going to be. They're going to be, particularly now that they see the numbers so close. Uh, and look, every, particularly when you have a money advantage, it's not even a question of whether or not you're going to win. Uh, this is like three-dimensional chess. So if you have a money advantage... Putting money in places where the other guy thinks they've got it locked up forces them to make resource decisions that are very uncomfortable. If you're Donald Trump and you basically have to, uh, you have to roll 11 10 yeah. times in a row in order to cash in, can you afford to ignore a place like Georgia, where, quite honestly, you have to win? And yep. if Hillary's, and or Arizona, where right now I think he would lose. Arizona's you know, amazing. Arizona, to me, I, I think I'm going to look back on this election, and I'm going to have to. I may have to re revisit my self-imposed ban on travel to Arizona. <laughs> There's that, and you may have to also, as a native-born, or I don't know if you were born, but raised South Carolinian, know that South Carolina, man, you're you're right up the road from, uh, and I mean that both literally and metaphorically. In terms of uh, from Georgia and North Carolina for being the next swing state that we're able to win. From your mouth to God's ears, my friend. <laughs> okay, so listen, Jay, we've got a we've got a break coming up, but we're going to come back and talk some more about some of these crazy polls and hopefully some more good news. You're listening to the Leslie Marshall Show. Truth for all sides of the spectrum. Eight 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 six Leslie. Good afternoon once again, folks. You are listening to the Leslie Marshall Show. She has not gotten a deeper voice lately. This is, in fact, Cliff Schechter filling in for Leslie Marshall. 
I hope you're enjoying the show. And uh, in the spirit of continuing to enjoy the show, we're talking to Jason Boxed, our research polling guru, for lack of a better term. You got a better term for me, Jason? Um, you can't put me on the spot like that. I don't know. I was going to say monstrosity, but that sounds kind of negative. I don't want that. No, I'll go with guru. I'll go with guru. Right. And, and also a Wolf Mother fan. Thank you very much for playing that song. I love it. Oh, yeah. See, that's those, these guys here, they hook me up, man. They get some, uh, they get some Rosalita in while I'm uh, in between. And, I mean, keeps, keeps, keeps me wanting to rock. So where we left off, man, um, we've got uh, some good polls coming out. Another one comes out from Rasmussen, who I never trust, by the way. I, I mean, look, I, just the way it's something that's too pro-democratic, I try to be sort of discerning with these things because I'd like to get the truth. Not kind of what I want or what I, you know, something that's so obnoxious that it makes no sense. Rasmussen, though, had Hillary down one point in Utah. And if you're saying she's investing resources there, clearly her polling is showing her stuff. Well, they've got that crazy, well, they've got that crazy uh, McMullen guy out there, right? So, yep. um, you know, Utah, I heard the craziest thing. I was, having, uh, I was having dinner in my sukkah last night. I'm throwing another Jewish reference at you. Nicely done. Uh, and uh, one of our guests, who happens to work on the Hill was telling me that Mia Love is in trouble. Wow. I mean, Which is it seems crazy to me. Right? I mean, this is a state when you, if you, if you're a polling geek and you know, I've been one for a long time and you are too, you must be, um, for, you know, Utah was always, we looked at states where Democrats could eventually, I remember, you know, a few, like a decade ago being like, we're going to get, we're eventually, we're going to be a swing state in Arizona. Look at these numbers. But Utah, the place that John McCain won by 30-something points, that Mitt Romney won by nearly 50. Granted, he's a Mormon, okay. Still, I mean, you know, maybe Idaho could have shown up further down the list. There weren't many that could show up further down the list and make you believe that they were states a Democrat could win. Right. So it is amazing to me that wholesale, it seems, uh, many members of the Mormon faith have just because of their history. And, you know, you brought up being Jewish. The history of, of Jews certainly influences how we see things. And I think the same thing there in terms of a lot of members go on missions. And to, to uh, I have a good friend who's Mormon who went to South America for a few years. Um, and so, they, you know, they're much more compassionate to immigrants and realize you know, as a religion that's been certainly picked on by the federal government about a hundred years ago that 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 how that works too and so it's amazing when you see i think trump had something like a 19 percent approval rating among mormons yeah this is, is uh, this is a group of people who really uh they they live their faith right they uh they're sensitive to being outsiders and um i think they see a, they see a candidate like trump and they hear the 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 hateful uh, invective, and they have responded uh, appropriately. And and you know, I think I think you're beginning to see that really uh, across the faith community. I, you know, there's an interesting data point I wanted to share with you. Um, I have a lot of conservative friends who follow me on Facebook, and uh, we get into these back and forths, and they keep talking about, yeah, but Trump's people have enthusiasm, so all the all the polls are skewed, you know, because they don't really capture his the, his fans and enthusiasm. And there's a really interesting poll that just came out from ABC, uh, Washington Post, and it showed that since the first debate, not only have the, has 538 begun to show that Trump's probability of winning is now in the, 
in the friends and family. He's barely discount. above ten percent. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like congressional approval. But you can look at his enthusiasm, and his enthusiasm went from ninety-one percent to seventy-nine percent, while Hillary Clinton's has hovered in that mid-eighties, like in the eighty-three percent. So she now has greater enthusiasm among her supporters than he does among his. I mean, the guy is just watching the entire campaign. It is, it is a literal dumpster fire. Yeah, it's all falling apart around him. He's listening to Bannon and Isles and all these guys that all have the same problems he has with basic personality disorders, not understanding how to you know talk to other human beings uh, with respect. And, and you know, uh, look, this is what they want to do. He, you know, he wants to be unshackled. He's unshackled. It ain't working so well. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of another. There are a couple other. Okay, so here's another interesting one, and I can talk more about this with our next guest coming up, uh, Shannon Moore, who's from Alaska. But Alaska is tied right now. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> uh, I mean, well, you just saw that Trump actually he didn't his campaign didn't submit the proper paperwork, and he's not in there. You know, they send out like a voter education guide and. Trump's not in it. Amazing. So, I mean, he could actually, he theoretically could lose there. Um, I always felt like out west, even in Utah, you have a Mormon population that maybe can be more socially conservative, but compassionate in a lot of things, and Trump too much of them. But you also have a look, people move out west tend to be more libertarian, tend to be more do-it-yourself and live further away from big cities. Not always, but, you know, some move to L.A. or whatever, but a lot of people do. It's a lot more open land. Alaska certainly that. Utah has a lot of that. And so uh, clearly Trump is, is offended libertarians to a point where some of them are, are, are either going for Gary Johnson or as one libertarian friend of mine I talked to earlier today was like, the guy's Gary, you know, I wanted to vote for Gary Johnson, but he's an idiot. You know, I mean, yeah. the Aleppo stuff. So now this guy's voting for Hillary because he feels like he has no other choice. Um, my now, guess is there's some of that going on, right? Yeah, and now what we're really beginning to see, now we, we've seen the Trump, the Trump ship begin to sink in, in, in real time, but now we're seeing the, the, the bleed off. And we've been waiting for this for months, and we haven't really seen it. Now the Senate looks like it's almost certainly going to shift back to Democrats, and now there's rumblings in Washington that Republicans could lose up to 30 seats in the House. Like this is finally all coming together in a beautiful portrait. It is. And you can see it in the Senate races, too, because so John McCain comes out today and says something like lunatic, right? Comes out and says that he's not going to let any Hillary nominees for the Supreme Court get through. In other words, rejecting our democracy in the very same way as Donald Trump is rejecting our democratic traditions. And you know he's doing that because he rejected Trump as a candidate, and he feels like he has to do something crazy and right-wing to win back that Trump base that he offended by moving away from Trump. So, Trump, you know, I think McCain could end up in more trouble because, I mean, you know, we don't know yet the full extent, right? I mean, Mitch McConnell will keep getting reelected, re but he won't have anybody supporting him, right? Nope. Well, listen, man, I'm sorry. I kept talking there. I think I filibustered you, and we're at the end of the segment. But you gave us a huge amount of information. Thank you so much once again for being on our polling guru, Jason Box. You're listening to The Leslie Marshall Show. Truth for all sides of the spectrum. 888-6-LESLIE. Good afternoon. One more time. This is Cliff Schechter. This is the Leslie Marshall Show. I am filling in for Leslie Marshall today. 
Uh, we're talking some politics. We're talking a bit of policy here and there. The media is always a part of it. Um, and uh, we just uh, had a great conversation with pollster Jason Box about the polling situation. I want to get a little more specific at this point. I'm lucky enough to have a, I would call her one of the most incisive uh, political analysts out there. And the woman who introduced us to the dark side of, of another woman named Sarah Palin that we didn't know at the time. We have our favorite Alaskan, Shannon Moore, on the line, radio host, columnist for the Anchorage Daily News. Did I miss anything, Shannon? Um, I don't think so. I mean, you do lots of cool stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, you, do, I mean, you do a ton of stuff. I've seen you uh, go out fishing and bring in fish the size of uh, half my body. And, uh, I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're a, a true Alaskan. But um, I wanted to make sure I got in everything relevant to this conversation because you have so many areas of expertise. Oh, for uh, sweet sakes. So it's really nice to hear your voice, Cliff. It's been too long. Darn it, I agree. I mean, not about my voice, your voice. Um, so talk to me a little bit, because a poll came out today that showed Hillary Clinton down one point in Alaska, and you've got, you know, 538, Nate Silver giving has Alaska. It's not, people forget, it's not Texas or Georgia where she's put a bunch of funds in right now. I think even Missouri where she's putting funds. But after Alaska, the next Republican state, you know, and state that Republicans have won the last couple of election cycles where she is the best shot right now, um, I mean, after uh, Arizona is Alaska, right? I mean, 34% chance at the moment above that. What do you yeah, think? It's, you know, it's interesting because Alaska is very, very difficult to pull. In fact, uh, Nate Silver in the last big election cycle, the only, only race he got wrong was our congressional race with Don Young. And he had called uh, Ethan Berkowitz, who's now the mayor of Anchorage, he had called him to win by 18 points. Whoa. Um, okay. And lost. <laughs> so Alaska is really hard to pull, but um, Donald Trump couldn't live the life we do here. He just really <laughs> couldn't. Um, and people don't really identify with his his sort of lifestyle or politics, that matter. I hope. Yeah. Well, yeah, I hope too. I think most of us would have a challenge living. The incredible lifestyle you guys live there. It's kind of amazing. Donald Trump, on the other hand, couldn't make it probably for a couple hours, would be my, well, would it's, be my guess. Yeah, it's not the easiest deal. And so, uh, you know, I find it, um, I, I don't know, I, it's, a, it's pretty hopeful to think that, uh, that Hillary could win here. But, you know, I think the last, the last Democrat that won, I think, was Kennedy, and he actually came here and campaigned. He campaigned in Nome. That would be so cool if she did that. I mean, I get it. It's a big trip and everything. Well, what if she, you know, she's pumping, I think, you know, we, our last guest, Jason Box, talked about over a million dollars, no, two million, I think, into advertising in Texas. I mean, advertising in Alaska is pretty darn cheap, right? She could probably put in a couple hundred thousand dollars and get some serious ads up there, couldn't she? She could put in a couple hundred thousand and buy all of them. It is the cheapest race in the country. Uh, which is really phenomenal to me. I mean, it's so inexpensive because, there, you know, when you're, when you're buying, I suppose when you're buying, like, in Ohio or New York or Pennsylvania, you're, you're buying, like, you've got to buy all these different markets all the way around. And here, I mean, you only have, like, two, three markets. Right. Um, 
to buy anything in. So if, if there's if things haven't already been bought up, then um, oh yeah, she could buy it so easily. And it's it's been frustrating to see how the DCCC, the DSC, and DNC, and all of those acronyms um, how they deal with Alaska because what they tend to do is send out these emails saying, oh my God, here's a picture of Joe Miller. And here's the picture of Sarah Palin. Be very afraid. Send us money. And then they never spend any money in Alaska on progressives who are trying to, you know, turn a red state blue. Right. And you've got a significant number of environmentalists, right, and other progressives up there. And then the contingent. Look, I remember we all learned about that little religious nut contingent that Sarah Palin was a part of. Tell me if I'm wrong here. But overall, it seems to me you're a very libertarian-esque state. I mean, marijuana legalization, one of the first places to do it. Uh, so it seems to me that, that you know, if you were to put, we were to put a little effort into pointing out that, and not really very much even, because Donald Trump does it himself, but obviously he's the opposite of a libertarian. He's an authoritarian. I don't think that appeals the same way it hasn't appealed to many groups that are libertarian in the western part of the United States, in Nevada, in Arizona, in Colorado. You know, he's losing voters in Utah and could lose there. I would think that that would be a similar sentiment even much more so up in Alaska. You don't want this guy, this authoritarian, coming in, telling people what to do, right? I mean, so I would, again, look, I'm not there, and they make their decisions, but it seems to me we'd love to, I'd love to win Alaska because it would be fun to have a Democrat win there presidentially. But even putting that aside, strategically, you're stretching their, their resources, right? You're making them have to defend a place that they wouldn't otherwise have to defend and worry about. Um, and uh, there's a Senate race there and other things to affect. Am I correct? Which I think is a good entree to you talking about the Senate race, which could be incredibly important. Well, I, yes. A, cu- a couple things. I mean, Alaska still, it has a secessionist movement, right? Um, but as far as being progressive, it's, it's really funny to try to explain it to folks. Because, you know, when, when Alaska became a state in 1959, they agreed to let Hawaii in as well at the same time because Alaska was so liberal that they needed conservative Hawaii to make keep the balance in the in the Senate. That's hilarious. Um, I did not know that. Alaska was founded by true, you know, the state was really truly progressive. Um, it, we we have the only constitution that has a privacy clause, um, which is mm-hmm. we. We we decriminalized abortion three years before Roe v. Wade on the grounds of uh, privacy. So, hey, sounds like you guys got it right before the court did. There, yeah, so there there are some really you know progressive um, roots there that haven't been tapped in a long time, and and you know you can see pretty clearly that when the pipeline came in and all the oil, so did the Texans and the Oklahomans, and uh, and there went our our progressive nature. But that being said, uh, there, there's a good chance. And we've got really important Senate races. We've got um, some incredible uh, House races here that I think are going to get people to the polls um, in a way that we haven't seen before. And that that's really exciting, um, you know, on a state level that nobody can, else can we take out uh, people like you and me <laughs> yes can we, we have a shot at taking out uh, the don himself don young uh, you know he's been a long time i'm a long time disliker doesn't and that's not a word doesn't even cover it hater i don't want to go that far but he's been on the nra board 
um, which is a radical group of loons. He's hung out with, with Schaefer Cox, who's doing, I don't know, 25 years up there for conspiring to kill police officers. I mean, he, you know, he stood up once and, and advocated revolution if people tried to collect taxes or register guns. This is not someone who should be serving in our legislative body. You know, he, he has said things that we can't print in the paper or talk about on the radio because they're so vulgar in front of high school students. And then last year he went in front of a, a group of high school students that had just had a suicide in their school, and he blamed the students for not being a good enough friend. And that's why God. this guy killed himself. You know, and Alaska has the highest rate of suicide uh, per capita in the nation. So, it's you know, he's he's just he's just a hot mess. It's time for him to go. He's a terrible human um, being is what I think you're getting at. Yeah, and I actually know him pretty well. Um, I actually said to him once, um, I said, you know, why don't you change your slogan to, like, I may be an asshat, but I'm your asshat. And, uh, Ooh, that might have worked for him. And he laughed, and he thought it was hilarious. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, and that you gives know. you an idea of who Whole we're dealing with. Well, but, uh, you know what? Well, Shannon, we've got a, a break coming up, but what I'd like to do is talk more about Don Young, even more about the U.S. Senate race you've got there, Lisa Murkowski, and some other things in Alaska. Coming right back with Shannon Moore after this break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Cliff Schechter. I am once again sitting in for Leslie Marshall, and we are having an exciting and fun conversation with all things Alaska, uh, Shannon Moore. I should have said knows all things Alaska. I'm not sure about everything that's in Alaska. Uh, yeah. You're the trees, you're the lakes, you're, you know, you're everything. Um, Oh dear! So, well, I did. We did get our first big snow today. We got about I don't know, maybe five or six inches, and uh, which is a lot considering I live um, right on the water. I live uh, like my at high tide, the water's under my house, and so it's it's a lot of it's a lot of snow for this area. It's kind of I exciting. really need to get up there and, and see that part of the world. I think, Shannon. Yeah, you do before it all, all right. melts. I know, God. I don't want to think about that. That's another conversation we'll need to have. But, um, you know, we didn't get a lot, get uh, to talk before we – I think everybody knows Don Young, terrible person. But we didn't get much to talk about the race uh, before the break. Margaret Stock, who's running for the U.S. Senate, who is a military veteran who seems pretty awesome. She's running as an independent. Um, but she's the one the Democrats are supporting because the person on the Democratic ballot is a bit of a loon. I've been told by folks like you. So why don't we talk a little bit about her and up against, uh, you know, go going with the wind, however the wind blows, Lisa Murkowski. Oh, what chances do we have in that race? You know what? Here's the thing. Nobody in Alaska dislikes Lisa Murkowski more than me. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, and, well, and having been called Sarah Palin's number one enemy by Sarah Palin, 
Um, yeah, I just, my full wrath could be on her all day, every day. But, um, you know, she ran, she ran a write-in campaign. Um, and, you know, since Strom Thurmond, it hadn't worked. And she got a lot of money behind her and uh, was able to dupe enough Democrats and women into writing her name in. Not so much. People are over it. They are over her. Uh, Joe Miller's in the race. And Joe Miller is one of the most delightfully crazy humans I've ever met. Right. Um, so it's, it's a repeat of the race six years ago. They're just each representing different parties this time. Yeah. And, and, and there's no write-in. They're both on the ballot, as is Margaret Stock. And Joe decided to get in the race. And he called me, actually, to tell me he was doing that. And I just thought, oh, this is hilarious, right? Because yep. all he's going to peel off are the the sort of evangelical, um, sovereign citizen, NRAers, like the real hardliners, right? He likes to call himself constitutional. So that breed of folks are going to go for the Joe Miller team. And they, they think Lisa Murkowski is as bad as Mark Begich ever was, too, of course. Right, what she's an establishment Republican, which means she's a traitor. Right. Even though the establishment didn't support her last time. Right. So it's all very strange. But, but Margaret's an incredible choice. I mean, it's not you don't have to hold your nose and go, oh, well, okay, I'll vote for her because she's not Lisa Murkowski. Um, Vic Fisher, who uh, is in his 90s now, he wrote Alaska's Constitution. He's supporting her. Mark Begich, the former uh, Democratic senator from Alaska, he is um, supporting her and endorsing her. So there's, yeah, there's a pretty amazing group of people who are like, wait a sec, we've got options here. And um, I think considering that there's four, I think there's, yeah, Four people on the ballot. Yeah, that makes it a hell of a lot more interesting, doesn't it? You don't have to have 51% to win. No. Um, so right now it's about, you know, like for any race, it's about getting her name recognition out there. She's been in Alaska for a long time, and she's just done, in fact, she first came to Alaska in the military. Um, and so I think I think she's she's got as good a shot as any. Well, as you said, some crazy things have happened there with polling, and hopefully Joe Miller will open up a can of whoop something. I don't know. We're on the radio. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that or not. <laughs> on uh, Lisa Murkowski, I want to get the people I'm filling in for in trouble. I'm happy to get myself in trouble. Um, so, uh, so you know, hopefully he'll he'll stay on it. I mean, I know he's gone after her a lot. I'm hoping there'll be more of that, and maybe you never know, right? The, the well, race is being sh- – no. go ahead. Sorry. If you remember when you and I met, um, gosh, years and years ago, was it the 2010 race, I think it was, when he, yeah, when he bounced uh, her out of the primary. I told told you, I told everybody, I was like, he's going to win the primary. They're like, no, she's, you know, I'm like, no, really, because she's taken everyone for granted. And, um... You know, it took some heroic measures and a lot of money from oil companies and uh, corporations to get Lisa Murkowski um, where she's at now. And again, like, if you thought you'd gain anything, anyone thought they'd gain anything by her being an independent, 
you can tell me I may be wrong. I haven't seen I didn't see her do anything independent when a number of important votes came up where her voice could have made a difference. She seemed to never be there. She did nothing independent and she did nothing to help women or indigenous women. Um, it was it was incredible there. You know, in the Violence Against Women Act, she wrote in a clause not once but twice that exempted uh, Alaska Native indigenous women because really, you know, they did they were pretty sure they didn't want any sort of sovereignty for natives. I mean, it was uh, it was you wouldn't want that. Mess. And um, yeah. and so that was just like one example where Alaskan women were like, wow, we got duped. All right. Well, we need to figure out a way to to uh, to get rid of her. Send her on to to uh, somewhere else. Well, so, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I I encourage people to you know if they if they want to see what you know not a lot of money can do. I mean, you can send money to candidates anywhere in the country, and what twenty dollars buys in Alaska, it takes a hundred dollars to buy in Texas, because like I was explaining, our markets are you know so small. I mean, your your dollars go a long way, and and a, a senator from Texas has the same power as a senator from Alaska. So it's, Keep it's that in mind, folks. That is very bargain. true. It's a bargain. A hell of a bargain. Yeah, it's a, it's a great bargain. Um, yeah. How have you how have you felt? You also have been uh, in the past an incredibly strong voice on women's rights, on choice. How have you felt as this disgusting display has gone forward of Donald Trump's past that we all kind of suspected was there? How does that, how does that strike you? You know, Bad use of terms there, sorry. How does, how does that make you feel? Cliff, I, I, I miss the days where the Republicans had binders of women that hadn't yeah. been sexually assaulted. The- Yes, there was it, when 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 women were just people to be talked about in an awkward way, like Mitt Romney did, as opposed right, to like, people to be <laughs> like right, like he'd only known one ever or something. Well, yeah, we went from like the geek that stood in the corner at dances to the predator that would paw every woman in the middle of the floor and not leave them alone. Is that essentially what we've done? And wasn't a good dancer. No, never. You know, now, yeah, it's it's. it's pretty amazing and and i feel like um this whole election cycle has just been sort of a big trigger warning um because it's really difficult to um as, as somebody who lives in a state with the highest amount of sexual assault in the country i i find it remarkable that pundits not just donald trump but pundits uh, different congressmen or senators who are willing to excuse behavior that the excuse of, I couldn't have raped her because she's ugly, that oh, doesn't play well. Um, yeah. It doesn't play well for anybody because I don't care how cute you were in the third or fourth grade, somebody told you you were ugly. Good point. And, you know, again, I don't really think that's a terrific defense. Of, uh, no, I didn't rape her because she's not attractive to me. It's just it's it's not a it's not a crime of of who's sexy or not. It's about power and taking it away from people, and that's what he's been about. He is he is a um, he's a he's a power vampire, and that's how he's taken it. 
Yeah, that's that. That is all it seems that matters. It's not even about sex, as it's not about the election. It's not about money. All those things are stand-ins for power for a deeply, deeply troubled and insecure uh, little man. Listen, thank you so much for being here, Shannon. We'll have to do this again because it's awesome. I love talking to you. We are we're out. <laughs>